congregations because we often think that we're looking at congregations that existed 2,000 years ago, but these are simply a mirror image of, of congregations that exist uh, within the church today. And um, it's really um, critical that we learn um, the lessons of these passages because at the end of the day, you and I are witnesses in this world for Jesus Christ and we are supposed to be the salt and the light, the salt preserving the word of God unadulterated for the last 2,000 years and light because we're supposed to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I'm just overwhelmed uh, at times the number of people who over the last couple of months at um, Calvary Chapel have brought unsaved friends along to the church and they're coming back and they're coming back and they're coming back and they're coming back. We had um, a young uh, mum on Sunday, for instance, who um, had previously gone to Hillsong and their idea, their idea of, um, of uh, church was to, uh, apparently was to, someone from the stage would throw out a big uh, beach ball, one of these floaty beach balls around the congregation. This is over in the East Coast. And they would just head it around to one another in the congregation and whoever reached up in touch with it got a touch of the Holy Spirit. I mean, and that's what they, that's what they call church. So um, <laughs> when they were in church on Sunday, they were astonished and I, I was a little bit concerned that it was um, maybe, maybe so um, essential, essential and pure and simplified church that, um, uh, that the reaction might be quite negative. But she texted my wife the very next day and asked for the version of the Bible that we normally use because she wants to go and buy one. And so that's just absolutely amazing. And, you know, people... And I got a ring today uh, from a lady uh, who has several friends down in the Canning Vale area who are, uh, uh, and, and, you know, I was speaking to this lady and we were talking, she's a follower of Ramir Safati, and one of the things that she was saying, uh, and I said to her, um, and she agreed with it, is that COVID-19 has in some ways been the best thing that's happened to the, to the um, Christian church um, for a long time because it's shaken the entire church, especially in the West. And you now know whether or not you stand for Jesus or you stand against Jesus. And there's that clear um, definition between real believers and people who just used to come to church. And so it's really, it's some of the most amazing times I have ever been associated with in the church at this age. And, you know, um, we've got um, Jewish friends of my wife who are unsaved but um, really interested and they've been watching um, the Sunday services and because they never get taught in their synagogues the, the actual verses, they just go through the... Torah every year and it's round and round and round. It's all in Hebrew uh, unless you go to Reformed um, synagogues. And when my wife witnesses to this Jewish lady, she, um, 
She said, but I didn't know that that was in the Bible. I didn't know that that was in the So um, we're, going to, we're going to have a look at this passage, um, and it's really quite um, emphatic in the way that we look at these things. So if you've got your Bible, um, I'm sure Eric, I'm hoping Eric can do the, um, the scriptures, but we're going to go back to um, the first chapter of the letter to the Corinthians and just remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. I'm going to re-emphasize what Paul said to these people when he first uh, addressed them at the start of the letter. What he did is he pointed out their positional truth in Jesus Christ. And in verse 2 of the very first chapter, he says this, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ, Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So he's emphasizing that these people, when he went to Corinth, these are the ones that he won to the Lord through his preaching and his teaching and obviously demonstrations of, of uh, spiritual power. And he's reminding them that through this letter that they are sanctified in Christ, they're saints, and they are one with the entire church of God throughout the whole world. And their particular congregation is in Corinth. And in verses 4 to 9, he says this, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short of no gift. That means they were enriched by Jesus Christ with every blessing that they could possibly want. The 33 things that are in the positional truth, these are all of the things that we are given the moment we believe. We don't earn them. They don't slowly come to us as we mature in our faith. They are given to us at the time of, of uh, regeneration. And what happens is as we come into the word and as we fellowship with other people, and if we, when we are studying the word and, and um, the word is being properly uh, preached to you, you actually realize that you have these things implanted in your new spirit, your new um, uh, man, and that as you mature in Jesus, these giftings, these blessings start to come out through you and they go to the people around you. And it's incredible here that Paul is saying that you guys in the Corinthian church have come short in no gift whatsoever. And they are eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm these Corinthians to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul emphasizes the fact in that last verse is that not only the Corinthians, that you and I are called into the fellowship 
of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And one of the things you have to understand is when we go through all of these different chapters, these guys, because of their carnality and the society that they're living in, they're breaking fellowship with one and another. And they're breaking fellowship with Jesus and with the Father and with the Holy Spirit in as much as their witness is poor. And, and Paul is really in all of these um, chapters through this particular letter is trying to lift them up from where they are at the moment in their carnality and their immaturity. He's trying to lift them up to be mature believers in Jesus and to be effective um, witnesses of Jesus out into the Corinthian society, just as Paul was when he first arrived there. And you see, the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, in the, in the triune God, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is total 100% fellowship between each of the three people in the, in the Godhead. Their unity in fellowship and there's unity in purpose. And that's what we are supposed to mature to be as a fellowship, that we are united in fellowship and we're united in our purpose in being in a church and being witnesses to the entire community around us uh, in purpose. And Paul is, is restating that this is what you are positionally, but you are not acting it out in your daily life. And the other, the other um, guarantee of the things that God blessed you and I with and the Corinthian churches is found in 1 Corinthians 1.3. And it says, And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And some of these, I've just noted them down. There's 33 of them, but just some of them. We're united with Jesus Christ. We're in union with him. We're seated with him in heavenly places. We've received adoption as sons. We've been redeemed by his shed blood. And we have been elected to eternal life. And, you know, these things are with us already. We don't get them given to us if we're good or we don't get them given to us if we study the word. All of these things are given to us at the moment of salvation. And it's absolutely amazing the, the, the um, abilities we have the moment we believe to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. And I can just... Um, um, remember in Acts chapter 7, remember when um, the early church was just getting started in Jerusalem and the persecution on the believers was increasing and they arrested uh, in the sight of Paul um, the deacon Stephen. And um, he gave in that one chapter a history lesson that is absolutely staggering. And he would have learned all of those things um, um, as, a, as an orthodox observant Jew as he was growing up because from the age of four onwards as a, as a, um, a Jewish male, he would have been taken to the synagogue and at the age of five, he would have been starting to learn the Torah and at the age of um, 13, he would have had his uh, bar mitzvah and can, counted it as a, um, as a, 
senior uh, male, so he could be able to make up a minion, which requires 10 men to be there for a service to take place. So all of these things that he learned, he was then able to apply um, through the power of the Holy Spirit as a history lesson for um, the Sadducees and the Pharisees who were furious at him and furious at the believers in Jesus Christ at this time. And he paid for it with his life. And the apostle Paul was there holding everyone's tunics and cloaks as they were stoning Stephen. And it's absolutely incredible that, um, that uh, you know, we've got all of these gifts given to us and, and he brings out in, this, um, uh, in these few uh, verses and the start of this chapter is what not only the Corinthians should be doing, but it's a real test for us to see what we are doing as well as our witness out in the community, not when we're in church, but when we go to the shopping centres, when we're you know, on public transport, whatever. There are things that we should be doing that are a witness for Jesus Christ. And... Um, before we start the, these actually verses, I was contemplating this message this week and I thought, well, why not let's go back to the source of truth and let's ask Jesus what he thinks the principles are that we should be following and the principles that these guys in Corinth absolutely aren't following. So if you've got your Bible there, please turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And a lot of people um, sometimes uh, give this sermon uh, a meaning that doesn't really um, uh, fully um, present what's actually happening here because Jesus, um, in, this, in these three chapters, are speaking to a vast number of Jewish um, uh, people at the time and what he's doing is he's contrasting the Mosaic law with the Mishnaic law that the Pharisees and Sadducees had um, developed over the previous 150 years. And the Mishnah is also called the tradition of the elders. And what it was is it took the Mosaic law and it almost bent it completely out of shape. And so it was a carnal version of the, of the Mosaic law. And what Jesus was, was demonstrating. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Now, this is an, this is an issue of fellowship. Do you understand? This is something where two of you who are brothers in Christ have an issue, a, a confrontation going on between you. And Jesus says in verse 24, he says, leave your gift there, not on the altar, but before the altar, because it's not acceptable yet. And go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And, you know, that's something that um, um, I had to really learn early on in my um, life uh, as, as, a, um, as a Christian because um, one of the things that, that uh, uh, I used to get quite um, 
pedantic about accuracy within within the scriptures and that sort of thing and and to the extent that you know i used to take firm stands um on certain issues um and i used to um my my nickname in the, my in my early days was bulldozer i've told the congregation that i was sort of like a bulldozer and so what i would do is i would be given over to debating intensely with people and i might win the argument but what i realized over a period of time is you damage the friendship do you see what i mean if you if you are so intent on being right um then what's what's happening is that there becomes a a rift between you and the person who is your brother in christ or sister in christ or whatever and at the end of the day um uh jesus says you know the world will know that you belong to me because of the love that you have for one another and if you have issues with each other then the guiding rule is that you deal with each other in love and uh, so i i i've stopped this um, um arguing with people a long time ago because um you, you don't win people you might win an argument but you don't win your brother over to your side and it's something that i've really learned and it's something that the corinthian um church is demonstrating that they really are not um, understanding what Jesus is saying. And there's another verse, I think it's verse 40, that I want to look at. Um, and Jesus is saying this, if anyone wants to sue you, you know, I'm sure he was saying this to the Corinthian church that would take place in uh, 20 years time, but he was saying this, if anyone wants to sue you in Matthew 540 and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. It's, it's so interesting that over the years, um, you know, when you mature in Christ, if, if someone is coming to you and, you know, and they, they want to impress you with um, certain views or certain theological positions, um, if you're going to... Um, turn it into a battlefield, you've lost the guy. Um, you don't agree with, with heretical statements, but you say, well, look, let's, let's just look at this and, over it and, and come back and let's talk, talk it uh, over again. And I have, and, and you know, I've really um, tried to impress on Calvary Chapel, Perth, um, since I took over as pastor, and it was there before with uh, Daryl and, and uh, Steve, that you know, love should love with uh, between brothers and sisters in Christ should be the foundation and the basis for all of our fellowship and our and our conversations. And Jesus finishes off in verses forty three and forty four. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. This is the Mishnah. This is what the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes have come up with. But I say to you, this is what Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. 
And, you know, as a young Christian, I, I struggled with that verse for, for some time. But at the, at the core of it, it is, it is you'll win someone to Christ with love, not with intellectual brilliance. Do you see what I mean? You will not win someone through combative debate. You'll win someone, even someone who's hostile to your position. You'll win them if you show love rather than rancor towards them. And the basis for this whole position that we should have as Christians in fellowship and out in the community, I've put down as Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20. And this should be this should be on all of our coat of arms. This is should this should be the coat of arms of um, of Calvary Chapel Perth. In fact, spiritually, I think it is. And and in Galatians two twenty, Paul says, "I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ." Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6 verses 1 to 11 and I'm going to read out the verses first and then go back through them and just highlight um, the problems that these guys are having and and I've, I looked through a whole heap of um, different uh, translations today because there are some um, points that you have to make um, very clearly in these because some of the old translations can be quite obtuse so I've chosen the New American Bible, which is a cousin to the New American Standard. And so just follow along um, verse by verse, and I'll read slowly so that you can sort of mentally transcribe what you're reading um, uh, compared with what I'm reading. And verse 1 says, and Paul's really, really agitated about these guys and what they're doing. How can any one of you, with a case against another, dare to bring it to the unjust for judgment instead of to the saints. And what he's saying here is, um, you guys, brothers in Jesus Christ, are bringing your um, um, disagreements, your legal um, issues before pagans for judgment instead of keeping it within the church, keeping it within what we would call Christian mediation or Christian conciliation. And the big problem for this, for the Corinthian church, and, and a lot of people don't point this out, is that in Corinth and in Greek cities and in, in Roman cities at this time, the courts were actually in the marketplace. And so when brother was taking brother to court, they would have to go into the marketplace in Corinth where there would be booths with um, um, uh, pagan, uh, Gentile uh, adjudicators in these booths. And there would be hundreds, if not thousands of people walking around these markets going to all to the stalls. And the problem with this was that like debating in the amphitheater, which was um, considered entertainment, um, the Corinthian uh, public also considered these disputes in the marketplace before adjudicators were also a form of entertainment. And this was so incensing Paul, 
because it was absolutely um, damaging the witness of the church in the society around it. And what Paul was saying was, how dare you take your differences one between another and go into the marketplace before all of the unsaved people, before an unsaved judge, and try and get um, a resolution to a dispute that should have been kept within the church. And in verse 2, Paul says, Do you not know that the holy ones, that is the saints, will judge the world? This is an unbelievable verse, this. If the world is to be judged by you, are you unqualified for the lowest law courts? And a lot of people look at this verse and say, what on earth is Paul saying here? And he's saying to the Corinthian believers, just as he is saying to you and I here tonight, do you not know that we will judge the world? And if you uh, attend Calvary Chapel on, on Sundays, you'll know I have made the point several times that part of our duties during the millennial reign will be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ as kings and priests in that thousand-year period. And we're going to be, according to the parables and the scriptures, we're going to be given responsibility over groups of people within the kingdom spread all around the world and we will be um, um, ruling and reigning as if we were Jesus himself. We are his ambassadors to the whole world at this time. That's our destiny in Jesus Christ in this period of time. For a thousand years, we will be ruling and reigning with him. And it's, it's staggering in its implications. And so what Paul is saying, if we are going to judge the world, why is it that you take these petty, small claims disputes into the marketplace before unsaved judges and ask for a resolution? And, you know, he's so incensed about this. And in verse 3, it's even more amazing because in verse 3, it says, do you not know that we will judge angels? You know, it's, it's enough for us to understand through Paul that we'll be judging the, the natural people who are living and being born and, and uh, carrying on activities lifestyle activities in the millennial kingdom will be their rulers over them in various um, um, uh, vicinities. But here's one that really, really throws a lot of people. And he says, do you not know that we will judge angels? Then why not everyday matters? And you can search the Old Testament, you can search the New Testament, there is no place uh, that you can find where it specifically said, said that the saints, the body of Christ, will be um, judging angels. So if you look at that verse, obviously Paul had taught the Corinthians this because he says, do you not know? It's like he's reminding them of their destiny. 
and it's absolutely staggering. He's reminding them of their destiny that they will judge angels. And when you look at all the decent commentators around, the only thing that everyone agrees on, and I probably agree with it, is that we will be responsible for judging the fallen angels. The angels that fell with Lucifer, because there's no way that anyone's going to be judging the holy angels because they never fell with him. So they're still in their righteousness. So it looks to me in this one particular verse, and because it's the only mention of this, um, be very careful about making strong doctrinal statements on this. But because it's the word of God, because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, because the apostle Paul himself wrote this to the Corinthians, it's true. And so the only thing that I can think of, and, and I agree with the other commentators that will even um, address this issue, is that we will be judging fallen angels probably at the end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment. Um, and, and, I mean, that's just staggering in its, um, in its uh, um, import for us and to keep in the back of our minds. So Paul's saying, so if you have such incredible um, um, duties ahead of you in that millennial kingdom, then why are you not able to um, decide on everyday matters? And everything that these guys are fighting about and arguing about, in these days that we have, we would be... Um, we would call them a small claims court or the community um, law centre where you uh, go and have minor matters um, um, adjudicated by independent arbiters. Uh, I can remember once um, a friend of mine had a minor motor, a motor vehicle accident and he was uh, a Sikh from India, lovely guy, and so he asked me for his help. So I said, look, let's go to a uh, community law centre. So we did. So there was me, a Christian, helping my Sikh Indian friend um, in a dispute with a uh, heathen Gentile uh, here in Perth. And it was before the adjudicator was a Muslim lawyer. And I had to smile hugely at those circumstances um, that uh, we just about had the entire cross-section of modern society involved in this debate. Whereas, you know, within the church, we should keep it in the church. If you've got an issue with your brother or your sister, take it to the eldership, take it to the leadership and let it be conciliated um, within the church. And, you know, when you look at those two verses, um, we can't even shrink back from the, from what is meant here. We can't even shrink back. For a thousand years, you and I are going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus. We're going to be making decisions and adjudications um, affecting the lives of the people for whom we're responsible for. And that's really what we're being trained up for now, to let Christ who dwells within me come to the fore so that when we're in that situation, we have the mind of Christ and so that we are adjudicating as if Jesus himself was doing that. And if you, um, um, after tonight's study, if you go away and think about that, 
it's it's quite profound in its influence that it has uh, on all of us. And uh, and in verse four, if therefore you have courts for everyday matters, that's these small claims courts. Do you seek as judges people who are of no standing in the church? And what he's saying, these people are unsaved. How on earth can they render wise judgments when you are supposed to have the mind of Christ? You are supposed to have every spiritual blessing. You are supposed to have no lack of any gift of discernment, of wisdom, of judgment that's been given to you by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit um, resides within us. And so he should be prompting us to do so in such a way that we don't take these matters outside into the world and display our, our carnality um, before all of these people. And um, uh, in verse 5, he, Paul is really hammering this home. He says, I say this to shame you. Can it be that there is not one among you wise enough to be able to settle a case between brothers? And Paul is saying there should be. He even got the letter about all of these troubles within the Corinthian church from Chloe and her household. And the letter was sent to Paul when he was in Ephesus and he's writing back to them. And so Chloe's household was concerned about things going on in this church. And obviously there would be other mature believers that uh, were, were um, aligned with Chloe. And there would have been wisdom, but out of the sheer um, immaturity of these believers, they would be having a go at each other over minor matters and saying, right, we need to get this decided. So they're going out into the marketplace. They're going out into the marketplace and, 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 you know, and having these bickering um, uh, arguments in front of hundreds and thousands of people. And Paul is incensed about this for one reason and then one reason only is because as believers, we're supposed to go out into the marketplace, out into um, the, the uh, society around us as witnesses for Jesus Christ, as salt and light. And they're doing the exact opposite. And so what Paul is saying, you are actually belittling the gospel of Jesus Christ that was given to you, and if it's been given to you, it's it, it is um, it is your responsibility to then take that gospel out into the unsaved world and share it. And what are they doing? They're taking their petty, bitter arguments and taking them out into the general society and and shaming the church. Belittling, belittling the church and damaging its reputation, and and uh, you know that's something that we should all be very jealous of and zealous of is to is to keep the reputation of the church that we belong to 
um, unsullied in in the uh, in the society in which it lives. And Paul says, but instead of doing this, instead of being salt and light in your community, in verse six he says there, but rather brother goes to court against brother and that before unbelievers you know and one guy he was really um he was really amusing he he um one commentator was saying you know uh listen you know i was talking to you yesterday about the gospel and you showed some interest and so let's meet up again and let's have a talk about jesus and what he's done in my life what he can do what he's going to do in your life if you place your faith and trust in him but I can't do it today because I'm going to court because this um, um, this brother of mine, he and I can't agree, and so we've got to go to court today. We've got an appointment at 11 o'clock in the morning. And he said, but don't worry. He said, I'll get back to you tomorrow about the gospel, and I'll start sharing the gospel with you tomorrow, but I can't today because I'm having this bitter argument with my brother in Christ. Uh, down at the marketplace and and paul is hammering hammering this home and in verse 7 he says now indeed it is in any case a failure on your part that you have lawsuits against one another why not rather put up with injustice why not rather let yourselves be cheated and what paul is saying if two parties go to adjudication and one wins and one loses as far as paul's concerned as far as jesus is concerned as far as the church is concerned you've both lost because you've damaged the witnesses of the gospel and you've damaged the reputation of the church out into the unsaved society and paul is saying why not rather put up with justice and that's one of the um uh principles that jesus said if someone takes you to court to sue you for your cloak give them your tunic as well and there's been times in my life where um uh, i've been in a similar situation like that and and i've just said look have it all uh, it, it's nothing it's not that important to me if it's going to bring uh, enmity between you and I, you and I have been friends in this church for years. If this thing is so important to you, then take it, take it all, and let's continue to be friends. And, uh, you know, what I've found, I've found in two particular instances that I uh, can remember, is that my decision to let something go when the other guy was fighting for it, it so shocked them that they almost cried and looked at me and realized that what was happening between us was far more important than whatever it was that we were arguing over. And in both those situations, I can remember, we just hugged each other, shook hands and slapped each other on the back and the matter was forgotten. And we continue to this day to be, to be brothers in Christ and, and really good friends. And that's when I put the principles that Jesus was teaching me in Matthew twenty, Matthew 5, is that if someone's really got something against you and it's so petty that it shouldn't matter, um, 
Jesus wants you to rather say, listen, take it, whatever it is, uh, and let's continue to be brothers in Christ. Let's be continue to be um, um, faithful witnesses to the people in our families, our workplaces, and our friends, and not let us this get between us. I've actually put that into into practice, and no one was more surprised at uh, the reaction I got from from these two guys when they actually wept and realised that that you know the whole argument was over nothing. A lot of these um, small claims, these petty uh, small claims. What happens is that pride and vanity and stubbornness overtake the value of what is being debated over. And we let pride and we let vanity or we let revenge or vengeance or bitterness or whatever take precedence over the value of whatever it is that you're arguing over. And that really um, causes pain and it causes devastation, even to the wider community within the church that sees this debate. And they're all asking each other, what's such a big deal in this? But personalities come up, pride comes up, vanity comes up, and really it, it requires maturity it requires the Holy Spirit to actually step into these situations and say, listen, what you're arguing over is just not worth it. And this is what Paul is saying. And in verse 8, he says, instead of putting up with injustice, instead of just letting yourselves be cheated, instead you inflict your injustice and you in fact cheat and this to your brothers in Christ. And he's just staggered that people are doing that. And in verse 9 he says, Do you not know that the unjust will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, Don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. And and a lot of people um, look at this passage and say, what on earth is Paul on about? And what he's on about is that the adjudicators that they go to in the marketplaces to have a matter settled between two Christians, the adjudicators are pulled from a pool of people that represent these sins. And Paul is just astonished. He's just quite beside himself. Um, uh, he's just saying, you're going as washed, cleaned, sanctified, justified, glorified Christians and you're going before people like this and asking for a wise judgment? And Paul is saying, you have to be kidding me. You have to be kidding me. Because, you know, when you look at this list here in 9 and 10, when I was preparing this, it, it just struck me again that when Paul first came to Corinth, 
these were the very people that he started preaching the gospel to. These were the very people that would gather around him. Look at them. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, slanderers and robbers. And in the marketplace, Paul was gathering these people to him, preaching the gospel, and some of them were getting saved. And that is the astounding thing. But Paul's saying, you got saved out of that lifestyle. You got saved out of that lifestyle. And in verse 11, he says this, that is what some of you used to be. But now you have had yourselves washed, that is regenerated by the Holy Spirit and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're washed clean. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. Live in the newness of life and let the old um, ways of your life disappear behind you and disappear into the distance. And Paul is saying, some of you were like these that I've just listed and you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of our God. And it's just, you know, I went through this, this whole passage time and time again, wondering at the enormity of it, wondering that um, how many people actually grasp the, the underlying truths that are in these um, 11 short verses that here are Christians taking their witness out into the society and um, almost defaming the gospel and defaming the, the fellowship, the church that was within Corinth. And, you know, I, I was, I've been looking, um, you know, at the churches that, we, that uh, Sue and I have been attending um, over the last 30 years and you know some of them were, were marvelous some of them were um, not so good uh, and some of them were um, destroyed by um, behavior like this that was never dealt with uh, and and really Paul was um, emphasizing in the last three verses of chapter five when he was saying you know um, we are not supposed to judge those outside the church. He was dealing with this young man that was having illicit relationships with his uh, stepmother. And he's saying, we are supposed to judge within the church. We don't judge people outside the church because God himself judges them. And he said, so put away from yourself that evil person. So what he's saying is disfellowship this young man because you should be judging these matters and adjudicating these matters within the church and not going to outside people. God deals with outside people. That's his remit. But Paul, having come into Corinth about a year earlier and, and preached to these people, these kinds of people, he won them to Jesus Christ. And he did it because of his lifestyle, his teaching, his sincerity, 
his behavior, his witness for Jesus, his his promotion of um, of all godly attributes, and some of them just gave their hearts, gave their lives, gave their entire future, their eternal future, into the hands of Jesus Christ because of Paul and those he had around him, Priscilla and Aquila and Sosthenes and Gaius, all of these people that were at the core of the church, all of them were, were showing uh, fellowship with one another. Every one of them was living in a lifestyle that was so different to that that was in Corinth. He was um, demonstrating in power and in word what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ and how different your life has been ever since that day. And, and he's so disappointed in, in the Corinthian church that having left them and gone back to uh, Jerusalem and then begun his, um, his second, uh, third missionary um, um, uh, voyage, that he has to get a letter like this from Chloe and he's so disappointed about how they have um, regressed back into their carnal behaviours that they had beforehand in his absence. And, and later on, he says, I am coming to you and I will judge among you uh, and I will show you by power and word and deed that I can, in fact, judge you and judge among you. But it's done within the fellowship, not out in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, in the second um, passage in, in chapter 6, you know, we learn things um, that he's hammering again on their behavior and their witness to Corinthian society. And uh, I don't know, I was going to show you um, I've, all the list of verses that were originally on the screen. I don't think you can see them. I think there's something wrong with our um, internet provider. Uh, I'm, and I deeply apologise for that because um, a lot of the notes and, and verses that were coming up on the on the screen were really helpful. Um, those two verses that I find absolutely fascinating um, is that you know when we will judge the world in verse two. Turn in your Bibles uh, if you're still with me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Turn in your Bibles to um, Revelation chapter 2. And it's really instructive just to have a look at these these couple of verses. Uh, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. So in Revelation chapter 2, um, we see these things. He's speaking here to the church of Thyatira, and it's absolutely brilliant. He's talking to um, people who are really struggling. This is the medieval church. And so in, um, I'm just putting my notes down and I'm doing it myself. I had these all on Bible show, but never mind. Revelation 2. Yeah, I've still got Bible show up. Oh, I have it? Yep. Okay. Can you, go to, can you go to 25 and 26 of Revelation 2? Yep. Oh, sorry, 26 and 27, sorry. And see, this is Jesus speaking to members of the uh, church at Thyatira 
And this is one of the promises that he makes to overcomers, to, to believers uh, within that church. This is an, a promise that he makes to them that's absolutely fascinating. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And they, they pull, uh, uh, in verse 27, is taken out of Psalm 2. And he shall rule them with the rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. And that's pulled out uh, from Psalm 2. And that's what God says to, said to, about Jesus, that the nations would be his inheritance after, you know, he had, um, uh, after his first advent. But notice that that passage from Psalm 2 actually applies to you and I in the millennial kingdom. And uh, a lot of people in churches are very comfortable sitting um, in a congregation, enjoying fellowship and listening to teaching and studying the Bible and that sort of thing without really realizing that um, in a time period coming much faster than, than uh, any of us think, that we will actually be ambassadors for Jesus throughout this this redeemed world in the millennial kingdom, and we will be ruling and reigning like Jesus in the areas that he gives us responsibility over. And I think I said, um, I said, <laughs> I said at the church a few weeks ago, I've got a little patch of Switzerland that I've recorded, that I've um, sort of uh, put my uh, claim in for, for the Millennial Kingdom, the beautiful area there. Um, but we're going to get somewhere and we're going to be responsible for it and we're going to adjudicate and rule over the people that we have under us for a thousand years. And um, and I'd love to speak to you about this um, at, uh, at a later date, uh, maybe a, a church on, on Sunday. Um, after the service, because a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people think we're just going to be drifting around in heaven once we get up there, you know, forever and ever. No, we're not. We've got work to do uh, for at least a thousand years in the uh, in the millennial kingdom. And that is the position that is given to the church. And it's also given for the resurrected um, Old, Old Testament saints as well. And for the tribulational saints, they'll be given... Um, duties to to uh, um, fulfil in the millennial kingdom because of their faith in Jesus Christ, um, and you know I, I contemplate this, I think about it a lot, and it just shows you how that when we are in our eternal bodies and we leave this old um, shattered, battered body behind, and we we become um, eternal people in the eternal state uh, that we will be um, ruling and reigning with Jesus. And this is what Paul's so upset about with these, these Corinthians, that they don't understand that. It hasn't uh, sunk into them yet that they will be adjudicating for other people rather than running out into pagan marketplaces and asking unsaved people to adjudicate for them. And it's so ironic that um, it's a powerful lesson for us all to, uh, to um, 
take and, and consider. And uh, if there's anyone out there, I mean, I'm just holding my phone and apparently I'm being heard. But um, if there are any comments or, or uh, things to make, I don't know what on earth has gone wrong with our uh, video feed tonight. It's a shame. But uh, for those of you who have stayed, for those of you who have listened, um, thank you for that. And if you've any got any of you have got any comments or questions, then please fire away. We're still here, Stu. <laughs> yeah, they're all there. Yeah, they're all there. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'll probably, if, if I'm well enough, I'll be tomorrow as well. But um, I didn't know about the bit about. Us judge because when you read the judging the angels, I hadn't heard the discussion about the fallen angels concept before, so that's interesting. Oh, I know. You know, the, <laughs> you can search the scriptures high and low, and apart from Paul's statement here, there's nothing else that specifically says that we will do that. No, but Paul actually uh, attaches the two verses together, verses two and three. And he said, firstly, we'll be judging the world, that is, the people, the natural human beings in the thousand-year reign of Christ, will be ruling and reigning over them, so we'll be adjudicators for them as ambassadors for Jesus, wherever he puts up. And, um, and, but he's got this little hint in there that we'll be judging angels, and it can only be the fallen angels. And uh, that's just sort of far more than your, your mind can actually cope with at the moment. But uh, it's a reality because it's part of the Word of God. And I don't know who's ready for it. I don't, it just, <laughs> I, I, uh, it's something I, I, I put to the, to the back of my to-do list as far as study because uh, it's, it's quite mind-blowing. Okay. Yep. Okay. Any other questions? No. <laughs> I, I'm getting a lot of interference in the audio that's coming through now. This is, um, I think uh, I think the enemy's having a field day tonight with technology. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I'm going to lodge a, lodge a um, fault um, claim with uh, Aussie Broadband over this. Is that, do you think it's the ISP here? Yeah, they're probably just doing maintenance in your area. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Everybody can hear you fine, I think. Everybody's giving nods. Oh, that's and, wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. Um, I hope, uh, I hope it, uh, um, I hope it um, got through to people and, yeah, to those who are in the city, whenever whenever you're available on a Wednesday night, I know a lot of people can't do it, but if you're ever in the in the area in Pinella, please come along on the Wednesday night. It's a, a lot of fun, and oh, yep, it's a lot of. Fun. Oh, there you are. There I am. What's this? Yes. Oh, this Stuart. Stuart. Yes. Stuart. What what about what about if like um, a person has really done has been um, done wrong things and that is it, and is it okay to take a person to court then 
<laughs> you know, like uh, say, uh, if they fiddled you of thousands or something, and you need to take the court, what what's the deal then? Oh, look, what the, this whole thing, uh, uh, as Paul says in in um, in dealing with him, he said uh, this is this this is the equivalent of a small claims court. Do you know what I mean? Where yeah. um, it's it's not a major. Um, it's not a major incident like injury to another person or fraud or uh, theft on a grand scale, which, <clears throat> which um, I think that was Jean that asked the question, but um, that would be, that would be uh, valid under Roman law at that time. But what he's saying here is um, it's a small claims court. So say, for instance, someone, uh, some tradesman in the church had got, uh, sorry, some, some person in the church had got a tradesman that was also in the church to, um, to do something for them, build something for them or modify something yeah. in the yeah. and it went wrong. And yeah. there's an argument over payment and there's an argument over completion. And there's yeah. an argument. these are all petty matters that yeah. should be adjudicated between the church. And there could even be relationship problems. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There could be uh, uh, fights between families, disagreements between yeah. families, um, old um, old enmities that have just been festering under the surface. Yeah. But, but, but when we're talking about major issues, we're talking they would go to Roman courts and be adjudicated by Roman officials. But what Paul is dealing with here is what we would call a small claims court. Yeah. But major issues, you have a right to go and have professional judges to, to rule over major issues. And if yeah. obviously if it was uh, injury or, you know, murder, then all of those come in with a, under the civil code of the society that you live yeah, in. Yeah. But yeah, with these minor, minor um, um, arguments between brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Stuart. All right, that's fine. Thank you. Well, there we are now. I can see you now. <laughs> On the phone. <laughs> you know, Eric's been working madly in the background to... Um, to uh, to do this, and when I went on to the phone, there's there's a sequence I think that you do things, and it and it asks you, do you want to do audio, and and I must have hit the wrong button because when it cut, well, when I came off the screen, I couldn't unmute my uh, my microphone, so that's why Eric had to busily work in the background and fix this up. Um, Dazza, you still here? Can you hear me? Unmute, unmute Daryl. Daryl, unmute. <laughs> you there? I'll try and mute him. What did you say? <laughs> oh, I was looking at something there. As a man with decades and decades of experience. <laughs> uh, I mean, we joke about it, but but it can be very injurious to the fellowship, can it? These, these... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been said, too, that a lot of the, uh, or some of those disputes were spiritual matters, too, which made it even worse for them to go to uh, a worldly kind of court system. Yeah. 
so, um, you know, but it is, it, it, it can absolutely destroy a body of believers. So it's, yeah. It can. And that, I think this is why Paul is so incensed about this, that he's yeah, yeah. the witness of the church. Yeah, you can, just as you read his words, you can, you can almost feel the despair in him and the anger in him, don't you? Can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and uh, you know, it's, um, it's something that, you know, that pastors and that have to keep uh, right on top of because um, these things blow up and, and get out of hand. But uh, if, if yeah. you deal with it within the church with godly principles mm -hmm. um, and, and Really, you, you, you want to have a win-win in every case. You, you'll never get it in every case, but that's that's the basis where you start with. And yep. um, as Jesus says, um, you know, the basis of every relationship in the church should be godly love one for another. Amen. And, uh, and that's that's the most important thing. Yeah. 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 I, think it's, I think it's amazing that he could say those words in the first uh, verses two to four uh, it's almost like he was establishing this is this is the reality so yep. therefore this other stuff should not be happening you know no, no. And, and you know he, he quite clearly points out to probably one of the most um uh uh how can i put this delicately uh badly behaved churches in the first century that their destiny is still to rule and reign over people in the millennium. I know, amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to get them to grow up. And yeah. One of the frustrations in church leadership that you get people that put me first rather than than Jesus, and mm. you know that's, that's the issue. Just another what another reason for us to really appreciate grace and mercy. Mm. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, um, and you know to, to be. A, a, I've, I've got to be careful about, you know, this, this promotion of PCP, but Sue has had, um, my wife's had several texts over the last few days from new people who have come to the church and they're just um, absolutely amazed at the fellowship, the, the love that's in the fellowship and how they feel welcomed and brought in. And, and you know, that's, that's just such a blessing. It is just... Um, uh, and it's something that we, we jealously hold on to because it's just such a joy to be there every Sunday and fellowship with everyone. It's just wonderful. Amen. It's all about love. All right. Well, listen, um, I, uh, uh, that was, that was uh, quite a different, difficult uh, um, thing to go through, but I'm, I'm pleased that uh, Eric's at least uh, been able to get us to see <laughs> this much. Um, and God bless you all. Um, I'm going to go and cook my wife's tea now and then go and pick her up from work. Uh, poor thing, she's texted me saying it's been a difficult night in dementia, so uh, I'll, I'll, Ready. Go I'll cook her a lovely tea and see um, see uh, that she's um, rested and, and uh, um, feeling better. So can't wait to see you all on uh, Sunday. And some of you uh, in the background, I know that you'll be here tomorrow night at uh, Dian in Dianella. So God bless you all. May, uh, may he watch over you for the rest of the week. May the rest of your week uh, consist of opportunities to share the gospel. 
to share the love that Jesus has for you with other people. And I just hope you have a wonderful time and we'll see you on, on Sunday.